Chapter 35 of The Gray Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dylan Seedentoff, San Rafael, California. The Gray Man by S.R. Crockett. Chapter 35. The Ogre's Castle. So, being wearied with the chase, we went to the nearest farm, which, as it happened, was that of Chapeldonan. It stood quite close by the roadside. A tall, large-boned woman came to the gate with a pail of pig's meat in her hand. "'What seek ye?' she said. "'We want not travelling folk about Chapeldonan.' We told her that we were merchants going to Ireland, and that we had been attacked by a set of rascals upon the way whom we had made flee. "'They are no that ill in this part of the country.' They would only ha' killed ye, she said, as if that would have been a satisfaction to us. It is doon about the banane that the real ill folk bide. I told her that killing was enough for me, and that I was puzzled to know what worse she could mean. So, with some seeming reluctance, she bade us come in. The wide quadrangle of farm buildings was defended like a fortress. The gate was spiked and barred with iron from post to post, as though it had been the gate of a fighting baron instead of the yet of a tenant, devised only to keep in the kai. We asked civilly for the master of the house, and somewhat hastily the woman answered us, The goodman's not at home. He has been away or by at the crag trying to win the harvest of the solen geese and the sea parrots. Your husband is a tenant of the rock, I said, for it is always worth while finding out what a man like James Bennetine may be doing, or at least how much he thinks it advisable to tell. Oh, ay, she said, and a bonny holding it is. Gin it were not for the ailsa cocks, the conies, and the doos, it would be a millstone about our necks, for we have to pay sweetly for the rent o' it to my lady of Bargany. But, said I, it belongs to the earl, does it not? The mistress of Chapel Donnan looked pityingly at us. Ye are twa well put on men to be so ignorant. Ye man ha been lang away for this part of the country, nor to ken that the neighbourhood is very unhealthy for that friends o' the Earl of Castle is to come here. Faith, the last that came spearing for rent and mails in this quarter got six inch o' cold steel in the way o' him. And what, said the dominie, became o' him after that? Did he manage to recover? Nah, nah, he was buried in Colmonal Kirkyard. The good man of Boghead geared him a resting grave and a headstone. It was thought to be very kind to him. It was Boghead himself that stick at him. Ye see what it is to be a Christian good wife, said the dominie. Oh, ay, lad, said the woman placidly. That was generally remarked on at the time. Ye see, Boghead was aye a forgiven man o' his days. But for a that, it was the general opinion o' the parish that the thing might be carried o'er far when it came to setting up my lord of Cassilis's folks with graves and headstones. She continued after a pause. I have been deven at our good man to gee up the craig, for it keeps him a deal from ham, and I, I tell him that he carries away more than he brings back or drink and victual, but he says that the rock is a most extraordinary hungrysome place. It has that name, I said unwarily. She stopped and looked at me with sudden suspicion. What can ye about the Ilsa? she said, looking directly at me. Noctava, I replied, but a seaside place is ha the name o' making you ready for your meal of meat. Hoot, no, said Mistress Bannantyne. Now there's meself. 
I cannot do more than take a pickin' on meat, like a sparrow on the lip of the swine-pot. Yet Chapeldonnan is but a step for the sea. She was at that moment lifting a heavy pot off the cleps or iron hooks by which it hung over the fireplace in the midst of the kitchen floor. I have aye been delicate in my days, and it is an awesome thing for a woman like me to be tied to a big eater like James, that never cans when he has his fill, like a corby hawking at a broxy sheep till there was nothing left but the horns and the tail. I thought we might get some information about the benane, which might prove of some use to us when we had ventured thither. Good wife, said I, we are thinking of going by Ballantrae to the town of Stronrower. The direct way I hear is by the benane. What think ye? Ye are a sonsy lad, she said. Ye would make bra pickin' for the teeth of sonny beans, barons. They would roast your ribs fresh and fresh till they were done. Sign, they would pickle your quarters for the winter. The like of you would be as good as a Christmas mart to them. Hoot, good wife, said I. Ye can that all this talk about sonny beans, folks. It's just blethers, made to fright bairns for gallivantin' at night. Ye'll maybe get news of that gin sonny puts his knife until your throat. Ye ha heard of my man. James Bannantyne is not a man easily feared, but not for the Earl de Macassalus would he gang that shore road to Ballantrae his lane. And indeed, there were in the countryside enough tales of wayfarers who had disappeared there, of pools of blood frozen in the morning, of travellers' footsteps that went so far and then were lost in a smother of tracks made by naked feet running every way. But I kept on with my questions. I wanted to hear the brute of the country, and what were our chances. While we were thus cheerfully talking, and the domine by whiles playing a spring upon his pipes to gain the lady's goodwill, there came in a man of a black and gruesome countenance. We knew him at once for the master of Chapel Donnan, James Bannantyne, for he came in as only a good man comes into his own house. He was a man renowned for his great strength all over Carrick. He turned on us a lowering regard as he went clumsily by into an inner room, carrying an armful of nets. I noted that the twine had not been wet so that his sea-fishing had not come to much. But behind the door he flung down a backload of birds, mostly stolen geese and the fowl called the foolish cock of the rock, together with half a dozen taminoris. So I guessed that he had either been over the water to Ilsa, or desired to have it thought so. His wife went bend the room to him. We could hear the sulky giant's growling questions as to who we were, and his wife's brisk replies. Presently she came out looking a little dashed. "'James has come in rather tired,' she said, "'and he will need to lie down and hire sleep.' "'In that case, mistress,' I said, "'we will in thank you for your kindly hospitality and take our ways.' She followed us to the door, and I think she was wonderfully glad to get us safe away without bloodshed. "'Be sure that you gang not south by the benane,' she said, the folk that bide there are no canny. So we thanked her again and took our way, breathing more freely also to have left the giant behind. We had not gone far, however, when we spied her husband hastening after us across a field. He came up with us by a turn in the road. We harbor no spies at Chapel Donan, he said, bending sullenous brows at us, and that I would have you know. "'We are no spies on you, nor on any well-doing man,' I said. "'We are honest merchants on our way to Stranraur, and but called in to ask the way.' 
"'You speared o'er money questions of my wife to be honest men,' he said threateningly. "'And why?' said the dominie, bursting up as one that is ready to quarrel. "'In this realm of Scotland may not a man without offence ask his way from the honest wife of an honest man, "'so long as he soliciteth no favour more intimate?' At this the giant made a blow at the little dominie. He had a large cudgel in his hand, and he struck without warning, like the ill-conditioned ruffian that he was. But he fell in with the wrong man when he tried to take dominie Muir unawares, for the little man was gleg as a hawk, having been accustomed to watch the eyes of boys all his life, aye, and often those of lads bigger than himself, so that, long before the hulking stroke of the fellow came near him, the domine had sprung to the side, and was ready, with his whinger in his hand, to spit Benentine upon the point. For myself, I did not even think it worth my while to even draw, for I had only brought my plain sword, fearing that in some of the company which our wanderings we might have to keep, the Earl's Damascus blade might overmuch excite cupidity. But instead I ordered the fellow away as one that has authority, it was not for Lancelot Kennedy to mix himself with a common brawling dog like Chapel Donnan. "'It wants but the ticking of a straw,' cried the little man, "'that I should spit you through like a paddock to bait a line for geds. "'And but for your wife's sake, who is a civil-spoken woman, "'by ill fortune tied to a ruffian, I should do it.' "'Then seeing that together we were overstrong for him, "'James Bannantyne took himself away.' "'growling curses and threatening as to what should happen to us "'before we got clear of Carrick. "'However, we took little heed to the empty boaster, "'but went our ways down into the town of Girvan. "'Here it came to my mind to hire a boat "'and provision her, as it were, to go to the island of Arran, "'and nothing would set me till I had it done. "'So on the south beach we found a man cleaning just such a boat as we needed, "'with a half-deck on her and a little mast which could go either up or down.' For three marks in silver, we got the use of the boat for a month, and with her both suitable oars and sails. He was going to the haying in the parish of Comonal, the owner said, but lest we should lose her, we must deposit with the minister or the provost of the town other thirty marks as the value of the boat, which money should again be ours when we return to claim it. So to the provost we went, whom we found a hardy red-faced man, a dealer in provisions and all manner of victual. Of these we took sufficient cargo on board, and having paid down our thirty marks, early one morning we laid our course for the Isle of Arran. But when we had gone screaming well across with a following wind, we lay to under Plata till it was dusk, and then with the breeze shifted to our quarter, we bore down on Ilsa. I knew not very well what we should find there, but I judged that we would at least come on some traces of the murderous crew which might help us to clear up some of their secrets. For I judged that James Bannantyne did not spend his nights out of bed in order to wile a few solen geese off the rocks of Ailsa. End of chapter 35 Recording by Dylan Seaton Tuff, San Rafael, California